You are listening to Hope Fellowship Church of Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you would like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit hfcnh.org. A short little message for you today on the final verses of Hebrews, but I think it ties in well for kind of the theme of today. Uh, The title of the message is, This is My Prayer for You, Uh, because this is the ending of Hebrews where he gives a prayer, he gives a benediction. Uh, So if you'd turn with me and read in Hebrews 13, uh, verse 20 through 25. This is our last message in Hebrews. Uh, I'm a little sad, but it was an exciting journey. Uh, Since Advent, we've been walking through Hebrews, Advent to Easter, and uh, as we finished kind of right after Easter, uh, these last couple of chapters, and today we're looking really at two verses, although I'll be reading the final uh, couple of verses here. Hebrews 13, verse 20. This is the benediction that the writer, the pastor of Hebrews gives at the end of his exhortation, his message. And he says, now may the God of peace who brought you again from the dead, from from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. Verse 22, the final greetings. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, Bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints, those who come from Italy, send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Let's open with prayer before we dive into this. God, we thank you and we pray to you today. I thank you, God, for these young people that we just heard from. And I thank you for their testimonies. Thank you, God, that you've given every one of us a testimony. You're working, your spirit is working in all of us and drawing us, calling us, transforming us. Lord, I pray that you would continue to do that this morning. Thank you for being patient with us. Lord, thank you for loving us. May you teach us today what it means to to follow Christ. May you show yourself in a way today that we would understand and see these truths as real, as something tangible, as something, God, that we can walk with eyes of faith that sees the things that are unseen, that clings and lays hold to the promises that you have given the covenant, Lord, that we stand in today and the hope of the future that we long for. May you be ever present in these things. May these truths be something that is not something we talk about and think about. Something, God, that that fills us, that fuels us, that is our very being, our very reason for existence and purpose, God, comes from you. We are made in your image, God, and you are transforming us into the image of Jesus every day. May you continue on that. May you continue in that great work. And may, Lord, we continue with endurance the race that is set before us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Hebrews 13, uh, verse 20. Uh, to begin, I would like to just look at uh, verses 22 through 25, just kind of the ending there. It kind of, in a way, really verses 20 and 21 that we're looking at really summarizes the whole book of Hebrews that we've been doing. But in the verse 22, he, he says, bear with my word of exhortation. If you remember, our, our, our study in Hebrews has been a unique one for the book of Hebrews. It's very unique. It's, it's not so much a letter that's written. It's more of a sermon that's preached. And so it became very natural at times to preach the, the word here because it is written very sermonic-like. And, and the writer of Hebrews says here that it is a word of exhortation. This word of exhortation, it is a word of, yes, encouragement, but exhorting in, uh, this aspect of encouraging in truth and, and, and kind of almost uh, begging you and urging you to see the things that he is preaching. And so, so he's exhorting you. So he says, bear with these words, for he knows that many times they, they were heavy and hard to hear. But good preaching is that way. It is an encouragement to our souls, but it is an ex exhortation in that it challenges us to move from where we are when we first began, to move our souls and our spirits. It exhorts you. And so he, he's saying, look, bear with this word of exhortation that I've given you that is most likely going to be read before this church and congregation and other places as the letter, as the sermon was passed around during that time. And it really, during this time, it, it tells us a few little closings at the end. Greet the leaders, greet the saints. Uh, remember Timothy, uh, first and second Timothy author there, Paul's disciple was imprisoned. And so he talks about prison and persecution in the letter of Hebrews often. And then at the end, he, he reminds everybody, hey, you guys know Timothy? He's actually been released, praise God, all right? So he, he gives them a few little illustrations, little things there. Uh, the church that's in Italy, he references, greets you all and says hi. And then he says at the very end, grace be with you all that's how he closes but right before that he really runs through in verses 20 and 21 he, he runs through almost the summary of Hebrews some of the major themes but if you remember if you were to kind of stick with me here and think back well, what is the theme of Hebrews what is the overall takeaway that you've had from Hebrews what is the thing that stuck out to you perhaps it's the theme that we've been looking at this really big idea that Jesus is better at its base level, Hebrews uses that word better over and over and over. Piper says this, from the beginning to end, Hebrews sounds the consistent refrain, as many have captured it, that Jesus is better. Not only as God, but now as man. He is superior to the angels, as it says in chapter one. He's worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. He's better than Joshua in chapter four. He's better than David and Aaron and Melchizedek. He provides a better hope and a better rest through mediating a better covenant. He prepared for us a better country and he will raise us after death to a better life. This is the summary of Hebrews. The, the summary of Jesus is constantly better. Don't quit and go to something else. Don't let go and pursue something different. Pursue Jesus for he's better than anything else that you could be distracted with. And the sub-themes are that very idea. Because Jesus is better, keep running the race. Themes of endurance. Themes of, of not giving up. Keeping your eyes, the eyes of faith, pressing to the things that are unseen but clinging and holding on to the promises and looking to Jesus. Don't shrink back, it says throughout the book. Don't shrink back and be afraid. Step forward into faith. Run the race. This is that aspect and these themes are woven in and out and preached and re-preached throughout the, each chapter in so many different ways. But I love the ending here. Really just two verses for you this morning that I want you to take away. 
these verses that are on the screens here, 20 and 21, I believe it gives a beautiful picture of the, the holistic aspect of, of the gospel, the, the wholeness of the truth of what he's trying to present. This is called a benediction. Now, what is a benediction? What's a benediction? A benediction, um, you may be familiar with them, maybe not. A benediction is, is really in many different things, but it's also just really a word uh, given by a minister or someone that is often given at the end of a, of a ceremony of sorts. Really, in a sense, it's a prayer of blessing, words of, of blessing. And, and very often throughout the New Testament, you get uh, a variety of the endings of the letters, Second Thessalonians, so many others that close the letters with a benediction, a prayer of blessing that sometimes summarize the things that have been said, but summarize in many respects the gospel in a short one or two sentence. Throughout church tradition, benedictions have been given at the end of services. I often give them uh, in, at the end of weddings, at the end of, of funerals, um, at baptisms and sorts. Uh, there are benedictions that are given for different situations. And most often they are just simply copying the scripture's benedictions that are given to us. At weddings, uh, and I'll say words that from like the Old and New Testament, things like, uh, may no man separate what God has joined together. Other words, you'll say, may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and the love of God and in his son Jesus Christ our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. One of the most common benedictions that you will hear uh, in a variety of church traditions uh, is one that we even sing here at the churches at the end of our services is the Aaronic Blessing. This one dates back thousands of years. It's words that are translated today in English that are found as known as the Aaronic blessing for it was given to Moses in Numbers chapter six. It says the Lord spoke these words to Moses saying speak to Aaron and his sons and you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them these words and may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious toward you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That is, the, uh, that is the ironic blessing at its base level. There's uh, different versions of that of how it's used. Uh, there's one that's called the Pauline blessing. That is a very simple yet a, a, a summary of different benedictions that Paul gives at the end of his letters. In 2 Corinthians 13, 14, it says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, amen. That word of a, of a beautiful Trinitarian theology that's given. May the grace of Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you. This is a proclamation, a blessing from God, these truths that are poured out upon the congregation. First Thessalonians 5 has one, Second Thessalonians 3, 16 says, and, and may the Lord of peace himself, give you peace at all times in every way, and may the Lord be with you all. Another aspect of blessing is known as a doxology, or a, almost a benediction like hymn that is sung. Uh, yet in the New Testament, we know of different passages throughout scripture that seem to be organized and written like an early church hymn. Colossians 1 is one of those that gives a picture of probably an early hymn that they sang, uh, and yet Jude 24 is probably the most common doxology, also used like a benediction very often. It's the one that's near and dear to my heart for my pastor growing up, often read this at the Lord's Supper or at different times, he would read Jude 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless, 
before the presence of the glory of this of, with great joy. And to our only God and Savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. And then we think of even Jesus who we don't actually know all the benedictions he may have given, but it does say that he blessed them at different times. Luke 24, verse 50, at the ascension, the very end of Luke, it says, when he had led them out into the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Oh, to hear those words. (laughs) What were they exactly? We don't know, but while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. These words are so powerful, right? Church history uh, is rich with beautiful benedictions that have been passed out and used at different times, dating back millennia. Words that we use today in our services in a variety of different ways that tie us into the history that is so beautiful. Whether it's high church or low church, the liturgies that are used within the church services uh, often date back to some sort of benediction in some sort of way, dating back to the scripture that we have before us. But ultimately, benedictions are prayers. The prayers, they're words saturated with the gospel, rich, traditional, yes, words that are used in a benediction blessing kind of a way, but they're very rich. Have you ever had a cheesecake that's, and somebody says when they're eating the cheesecake, they're like, wow, they take one bite, like, that's too rich for me, right? And I was like, it's so sweet, it's so thick, it's so rich, just like, woo, that's too rich for me. Some of these benedictions are so rich. They're thick. They're like the Bible's cheesecake, okay? So I, I don't know. Take that if you want. If you don't get anything out of the church today, there you go. Um, think about it. It's almost maybe like a, a sponge. You know, you, you see a sponge and it's left in the sink. You think it might be dry. You grab the sponge and it squeeze it and water comes pouring out, right? You squeeze that sponge and it comes pouring out. It was soaking. It was saturated, Benedictions are often short, as you can tell. Two verses, very short, a sentence or two you could say. And yet they're absolutely saturated with the gospel. It's a prayer that he prays that is saturated with gospel truth. And so what I wanna do, just to close, is this kind of like looking at these verses, picking it apart briefly, and then giving this picture of what they represent for our faith. And hopefully in a way, this is in a sense my prayer for you. Really, it begins with a God of peace. God is referred to as a God of peace. In different church traditions, we, people will actually close or in the middle of the service extend the passing of peace. They give peace to one another. In different traditions, even among our own in our community, there's a, a greeting that is given of God's peace. This peace that is extended to one another that comes from not from myself, but from the peace that God supplies a way that God has given us a mutual fellowship and hospitality. We extend a hand of friendliness, even to someone might not know, but because the Holy Spirit unites us, there's peace because we're at peace with God, God's peace to you. And there's a beautiful way to even describe what it is, what it is like, the the presence that the church has universal together. And so everyone in this world, you look, is always seeking peace. And if the church can be a place of peace and shalom and rest, then we can be a place that supplies a spiritual haven, a peace for people who are longing to search for peace, for they don't find it in many other places. You look at the news, you look at the the world as it is, and it just is a very uh, unpeaceful place. 
We tend to forget about peace sometimes. Like you don't always tend to value peace until you don't have it, right? Like peace is not something you sit down every day and like, wow, I'm glad we're at peace. But if you weren't at peace, you would recognize it right away. When there is peace within a relationship, when there is peace within a family, when there is peace within the church, when there is peace with the vertical relationship between God, you can have peace with one another horizontally. And peace starts with God. And essentially, it's the point of the entire gospel. It's the reason why we're here, for in the beginning in the Garden of Eden, peace had been broken, sin has happened, there has been a division that has happened. Yet the hope of our future is this new heaven and new earth where peace will come and be restored. There will be an aspect of the lion laying down with the lamb. No more tears, no more crying. There will be peace once again. And we see that picture given to us in verse 20 where Jesus is referred to as this pastoral picture, an image and motif that he is the great shepherd of the sheep. An image throughout scripture that we see on almost every book People like Moses and Abraham and Jacob and David, all at times referenced to be people who were shepherds. And Ezekiel and Isaiah and Zechariah talks about how God will become the shepherd of God's people. He will be the great shepherd who will protect and care for the flock. Jesus says to in John 10, I don't know if we have time to really get into it today, but in John 10 it, it speaks of how Jesus is the good shepherd. Psalm 23, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. 1 Peter 2, 25, it says that we have been returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. But in John 10 is the one that I most think of where it talks about how I am the door to the sheepfold and the sheep hear his voice and he calls out. And Yet I wanna read in verse, verse 13 and 14 and 15 here, he says, He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 14 says, yet, but I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not within this fold and I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. A passage there earlier where it just said, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. So many images of a shepherd caring, protecting, and guiding. Yet Jesus, in this beautiful way, views himself as one who is a shepherd, who yet also in the New Testament and in John as well, as John the Baptist said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Not as only Jesus, our great shepherd, but he is the very Lamb in sacrifice, which is major part of Hebrews that has been telling us. For in this passage, it says that in, back in Hebrews, um, uh, at the end there, 13, verse 20, it talks about the shepherd of the sheep and that this lamb that's been laid down, who's the shepherd who's laid down his life, is brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ. The power of the resurrection is given to us in this thing. The resurrection is central to our faith. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about if Jesus isn't risen from the dead, if Jesus isn't alive, then our preaching is empty and vain. We might as well all go home. If Jesus isn't alive, there is no reason to come here today to read the scriptures. It is an empty faith. But because Jesus is not dead, he is risen, then therefore we have hope in our hopeful resurrection in the future that is yet to come. For that power lives in the faith that we carry today. There is hope in the resurrection. Hebrews 2 talks about that his death, in Hebrews 2.13, his death, in his dying, he destroyed death. 
And by destroying death, he followed it up with sealing it with his resurrection and conquered death. Death, where is your sting? The blood of the eternal covenant is mentioned in this verse, in verse 20, that his blood that was shed on the cross is something that is sprinkled upon the mercy seat in the holy places of heaven, which is part of Hebrews. This idea of the new covenant that has been opened our way, that his blood atones for our sin and it atones once for all, eternally, forever. For Jesus as a high priest, takes the blood of his own sacrifice and, and takes it into the holy places in heaven and makes intercession for you and me and not like high priests of the old who have passed away and needed another one to come, but one who lives eternally and makes intercession for you and me to have open peace and relationship with God. The blood of the eternal covenant, the new and opened way before God that we may have. This is essentially the gospel message he presents to us. Verse 20 is this powerful way of presenting to us the resurrection, the peace that we have with God. The Lord Jesus as our shepherd that guides us and leads us, yet also as the sacrificial lamb that lays down his life for you to atone for your sins. And it's all of this gospel message that is summarized really as we think about it. 1 Corinthians 15, one through six says, now I would remind you brothers of the gospel I preached to you which you received and in which you stand and by now which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed it in vain. For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. It's a beautiful picture. The simple gospel presented to you before you, this aspect of Jesus' death and resurrection. It's all found there really in Hebrews 13 verse 20 and verse 21. So I'm asking you, yes, everyone in here, but in particular the young people whose faith is being formed even in these young days of their life. Don't leave it behind, right? Don't don't take what what you've been given in the beauty and the presentation and the saving words of the gospel of Jesus Christ and as Hebrews says, leave it behind. Don't fall away, but rather press on. Cling to it, hold on to it. Don't forsake it, but be nourished by it. Grow in it, run in it, so that you may be equipped to live a life pleasing to God. You may be equipped for godliness and for holiness, and may you not see these things as like mere information. Like you've, we've done that, we've talked about that idea of like, hey, I'm giving you information, we're memorizing things that go into our heads, but is it those things that allow to come down into our hearts and transform us from the inside out? Or is it something that we're just seeking to get inside or outside, this idea of putting them into our head, but they make no difference in our life? And I think that's the important aspect here to close with, that is in verse 21, that really reminds us of the the nature of salvation and daily Christian living. And in verse 20, we have the nature of justification. You are justified before God. You are in right legal standing with him. He is at peace with you if you believe in him. This is the beauty of that, justification. Then verse 21, we see sanctification. May you now be equipped to live that out. May you now go and do and live a life and do his will and live a life pleasing to him because why? You have been justified in him. You see, this this way of looking at it, justification is this outside to inside. Dane Ortland says justification is outside in. If we lose it, and we lose it if we make it inside out. 
I'm justified from the outside that I have done nothing to deserve this justification. I've done nothing to deserve my legal and right standing with God. I've done nothing to be at peace with God. I come before him and it's holy from outside of us. It is by grace I have been saved, not of works. And yet now I am innocent before him, proclaimed righteous before God. My debt is paid. I've been declared faultless. And positionally, I am in peace with God. This is good news, right? That's, that's the gospel. That's justified before him. Legally, I am before him whole and saved. This is reason to celebrate. That is justification. Yet in verse 21, I love how it then melts right into it. Now be sanctified. Now live your life. Now grow from the inside to the outside. Really, in 1 Thessalonians 4, it also says that this is God's will for you. It is your sanctification. Sanctification here, it's this, this idea of now it is inside to outside. Inside to outside. Justification outside to inside. Now sanctification inside to outside. Dane Ortland also says this. Sanctification is inside out. And we lose it if we make it outside in. It kind of works in an inverse way. Sanctification is a change with regard to our walk, our personal holiness, the subjective result of the gospel that happens, that happens internally and evidences itself outwardly. This is where the Bible says a tree is known by its fruits. Abide in the vines, stay connected to him. You can think of it this way, or at Landon and others, I think J.C. Ryle also gives a picture of this in his book, Holiness, where he describes uh, when you eat food, how is it that you grow physically, he said. How do, how do you grow physically? Like you guys, ninth, 10th graders, you have grown physically quite a bit over the last couple of years. You guys are tall, some of you, right? It's like a crazy to see how much you've grown. Your parents are like, wow, I remember when you were a little baby, right? We grow physically. And how is it that we grow? Well, when you speak about food, is it something that when you take your lunch, you have your lunch and it is not something when you go to eat your lunch, you open your lunch at school, you take out that peanut butter and jelly sandwich and you split it apart and what do you do? You rub it all over the outside of your body, right? That's what you do with lunch, right? Peanut butter and jelly all over you. And you take that applesauce and you peel it off and you pour it on top of your head and you just let the applesauce flow over you, right? Is that how we grow with food? Now the idea is you would take that peanut butter jelly shake and you would eat it. You would take that applesauce and you would put it into your body with the aspect of growing and being nourished by the food, being nourished and growing with what you take in, this aspect of being transformed and yet the one meal doesn't happen maybe overnight. It is a growth, it is a process of sanctification, of growing up in him. It's slathering on external behavior and rules does really nothing to change the inside. This is what Jesus talked about. Like a whited sepulcher. You can clean the outside of the cup but inside really it's just dead. The outside of the milk carton might look just fine, but inside it's curdled milk. You can clean the outside all you want, but can you bear fruit from the inside out? That is because with the inside you have life and you are taking in the truths of the gospel and you are allowing it to build inside of you to grow like seeds of life that bear fruit to bless the world around you. The heart of sanctification, as one Dutch theologian says, is the life that feeds on justification. Focus on verse 21. Feed on verse, sorry, focus and feed on verse 20. God is peace. You are relationship with him. Focus on your justification and the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself each and every day. It's not something you get one time and you move on and grow up from the gospel. It's something you go back to day in and day out so that from your justification, from the very simple gospel that lives within you, now you may be equipped 
to put on the whole armor of God. You may be equipped to run the race. You may be equipped to live a life pleasing to him and in his sight so that you may do his will, not from your own strength, but from something that comes from within. For we are at peace with God. Positionally, we are we're whole before him. And we stand equipped with the truth of the gospel and we are at peace with him and we can now live a life that is honoring to him. And then to ultimately with that life, like a living sacrifice, as it says in Romans 12, is laid on the altar. As a living sacrifice, we put our life before him so that at the very end, it may glory, it may glory to him that our lives would glorify Christ forever and ever. And ultimately, this is my prayer for you. These simple words. Like, that wasn't very simple. Well, I understand. It's a lifelong of growing and understanding. The simple gospel is so simple. It's so easy to understand, and yet it is a lifelong of unpacking that. It's a lifelong of taking in the bread of life and eating on these things that allow us to grow and to bear fruit and to be justified and sanctified. They cannot be separated. They are joined together as one in the wholeness of salvation. It's a beautiful thing. And the Holy Spirit lives within us and transforms us within to be equipped to live a life that is pleasing to him. So in closing, I'd like to pray over you guys. Some of these words, this benediction, another one also from Philippians, and also words from 2 Corinthians. I think these words from Philippians really summarize some of what I've been trying to say in a much, much better way than I ever could. In Philippians 2, verse 12, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Father, we thank you for these words. We, we feast on these words. For they are much more than words. For God, the scripture says, your words are life. May we feast on them. May we take in these words of life. You're the bread of life. And may God, would you cause us, spur us on, transform us in the growth that you have for us. I was to trust you in this walk, in this journey, in this race. You're with us every step of the way. You're never gonna leave us, never gonna forsake us. And God, I ask that you'd be glorified in, in all that we bring before you this morning, all the worship that we give you, even the, even the fun and the festivities and the silliness that we get to enjoy after this outside. God, we thank you for that. We give it to you as a living sacrifice for we, the joy of the Lord is our strength and we praise you for these good things. May you be honored and glorified today. May you bless the time we have together. And we, Lord, we thank you so much for your great love for us, the love of God. In Jesus' name, amen.